following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. He's one that when I as a pastor am needing a brother to be present with, he's one of the first ones that I call and he's one of the first ones that even initiates love towards me, which is different. It's like it's, many people will respond to your love, but it's different when somebody reaches out in love to you. And you're like, ah, Leon. You know, it's like, hey, I'm look, this is the phone, by the way. It's like, you know, it's like, hey, Leon. He's just like, yeah. And so this dear brother has been used by God to encourage me and to teach me many things about Christ. And I'm excited that he's going to be teaching us this morning from Acts 25. So would you come on up, Leon? And you guys, welcome, Mike. My, my... Good morning. See, I, was, I was all prepared to um, say something smart about Pastor Ellis, but he came up here and said all those nice things about me, and he just messed me up, because I, w- I was going to come up here, and, and if you didn't introduce me, I was going to welcome you as a new member, and <laughs> say, welcome to the fellowship, Ellis, it's nice to have you, hope you come back again, and then I, I, I didn't want the congregation to, you know, somehow think that, you know, Ellis and Leon were the same person, because you never see one in the same place at the same time. And like, like I'm Ellis's alter ego. <laughs> oh, no, but this is such a blessing. I, I'm, I'm so thankful and, and I'm honored to, um, to be here with you this morning and uh, um, to be here with my brother and my sister. And now my, my new mom. Hey, mom, how you doing? Um, but it, it is such a, a blessing. And um, because there's such a spirit of, of prayer... I'm in this place. Um, for those that don't know, I do um, serve on the Baltimore City Council, and, uh, and I serve in the 7th District, which is a portion of West Baltimore. And um, as has already been stated, um, this past few days, actually, hasn't been a full week. It's been an extremely violent week in, in our city. And, um, and it becomes uh, so challenging, um, even as an elected official. I mean, I know I'm, I'm obligated to... Um, respond in a natural way as it relates to resources and policies, and, 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 and I pray that I do that well. Um, but at the same time, you have to realize that there is a spiritual component to addressing the issues that are in our city, and not everybody understands that. And so when I'm in a place with like believers, disciples that understand that, I just have to take advantage of that. And um, I, I, I really believe that at the core Even when we get past all of the issues that our city faces, at the core of what we face, um, clearly um, the presence of Christ is is essential. But in order for our city to become the city that we all believe it to be, um, unity is at the the essential piece. And so if I can just say a a quick prayer, um, if you would allow for me, and then I'll I'll get into the lesson. And I want to pray like this. Because the word of God says, behold, how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. The Bible declares it's like this precious ointment that's upon the head, which means that unity requires sacrifice, but it's consecrated, it's sanctified. 
And it's that precious ointment that runs not only on the head, but it runs down the beard, even Aaron's beard. The Bible says that it runs from his beard down even to the skirts of his garment. Unity isn't just for those that have resources. It's not just for those that sit up high. Unity is supposed to flow from the highest point down to the lowest. It describes unity as that dew that's on Mount Hermon, and it even descends down into Mount Sinai. But unlike many things in the Bible, um, where we have to wonder, God, where we have to wonder where your blessings are, the Bible declares that where there's unity, that you command the blessing. Anybody think that Baltimore needs a commanded blessing? And then the Bible says, and then life forevermore. So God, we, in our unity, let this house be a uh, remnant. Let it be an example of the unity that you desire in this city, God. Oh God, let this place be blessed and let it be an example of the blessing that you have in store for our city. If we would put down our agendas, if we would put our, our separations, our divisions aside and come together and be unified, God, that this place would be called, no longer would be called Baltimore, but it would be called the place of blessing. And no longer would the, we report about the deaths in our community, but it would be a place of life evermore. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So um, I want to lay out some ground rules. Like I can come into Galilee Church and lay out some ground rules, but um, he said he was my, that, that we're brothers, so I'm, I'm going to take some liberties. So I know without a shadow of a doubt that I'm on an assignment this morning. Um, I'm, I'm clear about that. And, and I want to apologize in advance because um, the message that God has given me for this morning might not be for everyone. And you know what? I'm okay with that. And it might only be for like three or four people that are here this morning. And so for those who are listening on the podcast, as I speak to these thousands of people before me, there might be, there might be like three or four in the house. And you can't see them, but they're getting nervous right now, wondering who's the three or four that the, that the message is for. Um, because if I knew, and the problem is, it'd be nice if God would have told me who the three or four were, then I could just tell everybody, you could just go home and we'll just assemble with the three or four. Or I could take the three or four out to lunch and then you all could stay here, but I don't know that. So I guess we just all have to eat together and then we'll figure out, you know, as the message goes forth, who, who were those three or four. But um, I had the, um, and I, I know Albert, Albert's not here, Elder Albert's not here. Oh, he, oh there you are. So I took your advice. You, you, you gave, gave a great plug um, last week and said, listen to the podcast. So, well, I guess I was listening to the podcast in order to... <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> but um, as I listened to the podcast, I came to the conclusion that um, it is impossible. There's no way that I can do a better job than Pastor Ellis and Albert did as it relates to laying out the context, the historical background um, for where we are in, in Acts and I'm not even going to try to do that. They, they laid out the, the, the historical background, the context better than I could. And if you don't, if you don't know it, then you've got to listen to the podcast. <laughs> See, now I gave a plug. Um, so I'm not going to do that because I think it would be um, foolish and redundant to repeat a lot of the history and context that they've already done. But, but I do want to do the, start this way because 
Um, as was said earlier, that um, you all have been in Acts for a while. But when you look at Acts, and starting um, all the way back to chapter 21 when Paul was initially arrested, um, the subsequent chapters have been nothing but Paul naviga- navigating this convoluted judicial system that is clearly bent on, on convicting him. And um, maybe I'm alone in this, but as I've been reading the chapters and following along with Paul, it, to me, it feels like he's stuck in some weird uh, season of law and order. Anybody else feel that? That's just, and, and, and if I could put it in my modern context, I, I see Paul going into some um, courtroom in Queens, and, and, the, and the bailiff goes, uh, Your Honor, uh, Saul of Tarsus um, is, is here. And, and, and Paul's like, No, um, my name's Paul. My name got changed. It's no longer Saul. And he's like, Well, your mother named you Saul, so I'm going to call you Saul. So one, 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 Paul of, one Saul of Tarsus is here, and he's been convicted of illegal worship. And so Paul is standing before the, the bailiff. He's standing before the judge, and the judge is going, I'm looking at the docket. I don't see any Paul. I don't see any Saul. And he's like, he must, be, he must have been in a court in Manhattan. Um, send him to Rikers Island next. And Paul is going back and forth. Like He hasn't even, even when we get to chapter 25, he hasn't even had the trial yet. I mean, he's gone from hearing to hearing. They haven't even gotten enough, um, um, enough uh, of the process to even get him to a trial. And I imagine at this point, Paul is just, he's exhausted. Like, you know, do I ever get to at least stating my case before the judge? And so he goes back and forth and back and forth. And when I, when I look at these chapters, I, um, just reading them, I'm like, Seriously? You know, does he have to go through all of this? And then, then I look, look at it even further, and I'm like, there's no way Paul could have grown up in West Baltimore. I mean, Paul was waiting, in tri- waiting for trial for just two years, and Luke wrote eight chapters for him waiting in trial for two years. If he grew up in West Baltimore, he might have got three lines in the Baltimore Sun. I, I'll, I'll let that marinate for a little bit. And it probably would have said Saul of, Saul of Sandtown, Winchester, um, nicknamed Paul, run with the bloods. You, you'll get that one too later. <laughs> Grew up on the 1300 block of North Calhoun Street. He was arrested in 2016 for illegal worship by the Worship Trace Task Force. False arrest, case to miss. And it probably wouldn't even have a name underneath. It would have just said, byline would have been staff. But here, Luke dedicated like eight chapters to this process that Paul was finding himself going through. And so last week, um, when um, Albert taught, we find, you found Paul in Caesarea, and his case is being prosecuted by the Sanhedrin's finest attorney, Tertullus. And um, this case is being presented, or at least trying to be presented, to Felix. And what happened is Tertullus... He didn't realize it, but he met his match. He, he encountered someone that he was not prepared for because Paul just destroys him with the truth. And, and, you know, sometimes it's amazing that when we are meeting or facing opposition or we're facing those who might challenge what, are, what we believe in, we will try everything that we can imagine to put up an argument. 
And sometimes the last thing we'll use is the truth. And Paul was just, Paul didn't come up with any fancy slogans or any bywords or any, anything new. He just, hit, he just hit Tartullus with the truth. He just said, you know, my best defense against what you have to come against me is just the truth of God's word. And so in, in, in doing so, because the, the Bible says, you know, that um, study to show thyself approved, a workman who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So Paul just, he, when he was being persecuted, he just used the truth. Of, uh, and so that's why it's so important for us to be, you know, Bible literate disciples. Because if, we, if the opposition that we might face in this world is only going to be addressed when we know the truth. And it's got to be the truth of God's word. And so in that, Paul declares that he has a clear conscience for God and man. Paul isn't, he's confident of where he is. He's confident um, that he's not guilty, that he has done nothing inappropriate. Um, and so his conscience is clear, not only before man, but he feels as though his conscience is clear before God. And hearing this, Felix couldn't find any evidence to support the Jews' claims. And quite frankly, he should have released Paul right then. Um, but instead, he keeps him in custody, thinking, and, you know, and it's kind of interesting, Felix's train of thought in this whole scenario, that he's keeping Paul in custody initially because he thinks Paul's people have some money. It's like, well, maybe if I keep him around for a little bit, maybe some, I can rob somebody or somebody will give some kind of ransom to get Paul out. Uh, no, Paul didn't have any money, so he should have just let him go because that wasn't going to work. But after two years, Rome gets tired of Felix and replaces him. And the shame about Felix being replaced is that here he is, an outgoing politician, and he could have easily have uh, pardoned Paul just because of an act of him going out of office. And he still didn't pardon him. Instead, he considered himself doing a, a favor uh, to the Jewish community and keeps, keeps Paul in custody. Like, you know, Paul is in this, this mad game of, of, of Groundhog Day. Like, I got yeah, a new leader, but it's the, I'm in the same situation. And so Felix leaves. Uh, Festus comes and, and assumes office. This is the new governor coming in, comes in. And he travels from uh, Caesarea to Jerusalem. And so when he comes in, he's only three days on the job. And the high priest and the chief of the Jews um, school him on the case with Paul. As soon as he's coming in, it's like, okay, we got somebody new. Let, let, let's, let's see if we can get him um, to entertain uh, our accusations against Paul. And so thinking they could take advantage of the new guy, they try to convince him to send Paul to Jerusalem where they would ambush him and solve this Paul problem once and for all. So they had this plot that they uh, couldn't realize under Felix but figured, hey, now we got new leadership, maybe we can, we can do it under Festus. And the, the reality is Festus may have been new to Jerusalem, but he wasn't new to politics. And so he sees this plot. He sees this game that they're trying to play. And then he's like, no, nah, bro, we ain't doing that. No, no, we're, we're, I'm, not, I'm not sending Paul down to Jerusalem. I see what y'all are trying to do. Um, he said, but, but what I will do is um, I am going up to Caesarea, and I'm going to keep Paul there, and I'm going to review his case. Now, if you... And some of your accusers would like to travel with me. We can hear 
Paul's case there. And so they travel about the 60-plus miles up to Caesarea, and he hears there their accusations against Paul there. And, and it had to be, if I could put myself in the position of, of Festus, he had to have determined at that point that if that was all the evidence that they had, then quite frankly, they should have just stayed home and saved their gas money. To, for them to travel all the way to Caesarea with that little bit of evidence, that paper-thin evidence, it's like, well, why are you even doing this? I thought y'all had a case against this man. And this, and this is the best evidence that you have? And so, once again, Festus doesn't even entertain uh, the flimsy evidence that they're trying to uh, bring against Paul. And, but being a good politician, good politician and wanting to gain favor with his constituents, Festus ignores the law and actually good policy to win votes. So despite the lack of evidence, he tries to convince Paul to have his case heard in Jerusalem. He knows that there's no evidence to support um, what the, the Jews are bringing against Paul, but he still tries to convince him to have his case heard in Jerusalem. But what he does is he makes the mistake of forgetting that, that Paul is a really good jailhouse lawyer. <laughs> and is ignorant to the fact that God is really the one who's orchestrating all of this behind the scenes. And the reality is, at this point, Paul has already, Paul already has his appeal to the Supreme Court, that meaning Caesar Augustus. He's already got his, his brief already drafted up on how he's going to work this thing out. And so Festus and the Jewish council, and they go right for the bait. They go right for the trap that's been set. And as a result, now Festus has to honor Paul's request to be tried by Caesar because he had the opportunity to let him go. And when he didn't, he, caught, he set up a scenario where Paul could now appeal to a higher court. But Festus, still looking, out for, for, uh, looking for a way to get out of this dilemma that he finds himself in, here comes the uh, two new members to the scene, King Agrippa and his sister wife, Bernice. Yeah, isn't this some crazy stuff? Like, I mean, why do you even have to look at soap operas? I mean, all you got to do is pick up your Bible. I mean, it, it, there's nothing on TV that trumps what's in this Bible. And so, I can't even believe I just said sister wife. But, but anyway, and so Festus tells Agrippa, um, you know, hey, Felix left me with this dude Paul. And the Jews told me that they had evidence against them, but but they keep bringing up these superstitions and they're droning on about some dispute over this guy named Jesus, whether he's alive or not. And quite frankly, Paul's argument that he's alive is better than what I'm hearing from this Jewish council. And, and their case against Paul is paper thin. They don't really have evidence. And as a result, Paul has invoked his rights as a Roman citizen, and he wants to have Caesar try this case. And so here Festus is talking to King Agrippa, and it's like, if I take this to Caesar with this kind of flimsy evidence, see, I'm, Paul won't be the one in, in trouble. I'm going to be the one in trouble. And so Festus is looking for Agrippa to help him in this situation, to give him an out. And Festus, so, so Agrippa tells back to Festus, hey, I'll hear his case. Let me hear what Paul has to say. And so here and so if we look at those chapters, 
And that, that's kind of the context of where we are in chapter 25, going from here Paul was in, still in prison, we have new leadership come in, and he's still in a process where he still has not got his trial. But now he's going from one hearing to another hearing, but now he's before King Agrippa. And so remember I said I'm only talking to about three or four. And so let's dig a little bit more into this chapter and see what, what I believe God is saying. And I think that, and once again, um, Albert said it so eloquently last week, that these chapters are an amazing testament to Paul's faith under the most extreme conditions. Um, they, they, they are, when we think of the context of where Paul was, when we think of the situation and circumstances that he found himself in, to, to have that kind of faith that he exhibited during that crisis um, is, is uh, so notable, so, so honorable. Um, they, there aren't many examples that could be compared to where Paul found himself and the, and the faith that he exhibited under those conditions. And not only was it a, a, a sense of a blind faith, it was a faith rooted in a promise that seemed to be delayed. I mean, Paul knew that you know, he had a direct word from God that he was going to be going to Rome. But here he finds himself in a place that seems so far from where God said he was going to be. It's like, God, you said I'm, I'm supposed to be in Rome, but I'm, all I'm finding myself is in, you know, this pit of a jail and going from room to room. And I haven't even had the audiences that you said that I would have. But Paul, what he did have is he had a promise. He knew that he had a word from God that he was counting on God to honor. He knew that he wasn't standing on his own name, on his own reputation. No, he was standing on the word of God. He was standing on God's reputation. And, and, and I, I hate to keep using Albert over and over, but his message last week was so, so powerful. But Paul, even in the midst of that, there were times that he had to have wondered, you know, God you know, this sure doesn't look like the path to Rome. Like, if, this, if you were going to take me to Rome, why, why did I have to go this route? You know, it, you, have we ever experienced some time in life where you're like, God, I know, I, I'm sure of where you're taking me, but couldn't, couldn't we have gone that route? Like, my, my, my internal GPS is saying, make a right turn here. And, and, it keeps, and, and you keep sending me this way. Now, what's wrong? Is it, am I wrong? Or is there something wrong with your directions, God? And we always know what the answer is. It's never God's directions that are wrong. It's usually us lining up with where he's directing us. But having said all of that, you would think that today I came to talk about Paul. Nope. I'm sorry. I didn't even come to talk about Paul. That was all just the, 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 the appetizer. Because for me, Paul isn't even the most important person in this whole drama. Don't kick me out. The person that I really want to talk about is a person that we typically don't talk about, whose name is Ananias. And so if you have your Bibles, or you can listen along, um, if you could turn to Acts chapter 9, verse 6. Because sometimes we... We put more emphasis, and I'm not saying it's not right, but sometimes we put more emphasis on the end of the story 
and don't even realize how the story started in the beginning. Because faith builds upon faith. And sometimes it's, the, it's, it's what we might consider the more insignificant or the smaller faith that really creates the platform for the large moves of faith. And so if we were to look at Acts chapter 9, and starting in verse 6, it says, And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And so this is the Lord talking to, to Saul or Paul. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in the vision. So, news break. God doesn't just talk to pastors and bishops and elders. Sometimes he talks to ordinary people as well. He uses disciples that make themselves available and are submitted to him. So here, the Lord visits Ananias in a vision. And so the word of God says, And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And have seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. So Ananias is like, Err, are you kidding me? It's like, come on, God. <laughs> oh my God. You want me to go talk to Paul? I mean, so you want me to go talk to Saul? Are you kidding me? You know this dude's reputation? I mean, just getting in his sight, I'm putting my life in jeopardy. And matter of fact, he's not doing it criminally. He's got authority to take us out. But you want me, this is, so this is the vision you're going to give me? I've been, I've been praying to be used by you, and, and you want to use me to go talk to Saul? Anybody ever been asked to do seemingly the impossible things? Like, it's like, God, can't you give me another blessing? God, can't you give me something else? It's like, not this one, God. This isn't the one I was praying for. I was praying. I know I said, I know I, I said, use me how you will, Lord. Use me, Lord. But I didn't mean like this. <laughs> it's like, why you want to answer that particular prayer? What about this other one? I told you about this bill that was due too. Can, can we answer this one? And so, but we don't get to pick and choose, you know, the assignments that God gives us. And so God asked for Ananias to go to see Saul. And, and what's incredible about it is that God had already done a work in Saul's life. He just needed a, a yielded vessel to go complete the work that he had already started. And so, can you imagine? But let, let me, let me. And so, so the word of God says, but the Lord said unto him, well, 
And here he have authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. And the, but the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Like, did, I don't think I've read any, did, did the Bible say that Ananias was going to go to the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel? No. Didn't say that at all. Matter of fact, it says that Saul, who's converted to Paul, is going to be the one who goes and talks to the Gentiles and the kings and, and the children of Israel. But what happens if God can't find an Ananias to go talk to Saul? I mean, because we always want to talk about having that faith of Paul to do those incredible things. And quite frankly, there'll be very few of us who would ever walk in that same faith that a Paul, that's required of a Paul. But what if God isn't asking you for Paul faith? What if God isn't even asking you for Ellis faith? What if he's just asking you for Ananias faith? Like, I, all I want you to do is you... You, you see that drug dealer on the corner? I troubled him all last night, and he's ready to break. And I just need somebody to just go over to him and say, you know, the Lord sent me, and I just want to pray with you. Do we have enough faith to do that? Knowing that that one drug dealer, if converted, might win all of West Baltimore. I mean, isn't that what Paul did? I mean, he went from being a terror to... We, we, we are part of his legacy. One person. One individual. One blinded person. One criminal. One ex-offender that all they needed was an Ananias who put his agenda, put his fears, put what he wanted to do on the side for just a moment to be obedient to God's will. Any Ananiases in here this morning? Do I have three? Do I have three Ananiases in here that aren't afraid to be used of God to go relay a message to individuals who nobody else would even have the confidence to talk to. I asked for three. God only needs one. And the Bible says, And Ananias went his way and he entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says, immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. So Ananias did what God called him to do, and it unlocked the potential that God had already placed in Paul's life. It unlocked the destiny it unlocked the spiritual destiny that, that God had entrusted 
and deposited it into um, Saul. And the Bible says, and when he had received meat, he was strengthened. It's talking about Saul. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And so, and look at, look at this. Look, look at how, an, an, uh, how important an Ananias is. Not only does he minister to Saul, who was converted to Paul, now he makes the fellowship relevant. Because it doesn't say Ananias uh, ministered to Saul at, after that point. It talks about the disciples, which were at Damascus. Now, by his simple faith ministering to Paul, now he just opened up a whole nother ministry within the church. Because now that, that person who has the spirit of nurturing, that person who has the spirit of teaching, that person who has the spirit of, of encouragement and healing, who was sitting around like, I don't, I, I got this in me, but I, there's nobody for me to, to, to use this on. Now, Ananias steps out, ministers to Paul. He comes into church, and now that healing and encouragement ministry that's been bound up in me now has an expression because now I can help Paul nurture him into where he needs to be. Our faith unlocks so many other spiritual potential and so many other individuals. Faith is connected. When we come into a fellowship, we don't, we don't remain independent. We are now a part of a body. And so my, my anointing is connected to your anointing. My destiny in God is connected to your, you and God. And we are no longer, it's, it's not like, it would be really impossible, and I've done it before because some people are so selfish, to play basketball and it'd be five on five, and, and, and people on your, on your team act like they're not a part of the team. It's like, hey, 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 you end up stealing the ball from your own teammate at some point. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm playing too. But, but when a team is operating and moving smoothly, I might be just a good defender and not a good shooter, but my defense helps you get the ball back. And I might not be a good scorer, but I'm a great passer. And so me working with you now gives me an opportunity to express me. And I don't care if I score. I, I get more enjoyment out of seeing you score, knowing that my pass led to your score. And I don't care about passing. I just know that my defense allowed the passer to get the ball. And that's why, that's why if not for that, why are we even here? Can I be free, brother? You all are a special assembly. This is a special fellowship. Um, I don't I don't consider myself a great teacher, preacher, or anything. Um, I love coming here. I love the spirit that's in this place. I love the spirit of your leaders. Um, this is what Baltimore is supposed to look like. But it doesn't, Baltimore doesn't get it when it just looks like this in here. This same love, this same passion, this same joy, this same Ananias spirit is only fully expressed when it goes outside of these doors. And if not, if this city doesn't see what you have here, in a genuine way, who are they going to learn it from?
Because there are so many people trying to replicate what unity really looks like. And let's be honest, they're perverting what unity is supposed to look like. But this, this, this is unity. And, and, and let me say this as well. Because the, the spirit of Ananias isn't just for the husband who is ready to leave his family or the drug dealer that's in the corner, corner or the backslider. The spirit of Ananias is for us as well. And sometimes it's even reaches its greatest expression when it's expressed within this house. So, like, I, it would be... It would be contrary and for me to express the spirit of Ananias in an outreach way and never express it with my brothers and sisters that I see every day. Like if I, if I know that a brother or sister of mine um, needs encouragement, needs support, maybe needs a word from God, I shouldn't even have to create a phony, made-up word of encouragement. Matter of fact, if I really care about them, if I really, I probably should pray to God, God, give me a word that I could share with my brother or my sister to encourage them in their time of need. God, I don't know who you're going to send me to. All I want to do is for you to use me in that way that I could really lift up my brother and sister. Can you imagine the unity in this house if that was our humble prayer? Just use me to encourage my brother. Just use me to lift up my sister. God, I don't know a whole lot of scripture. Just give me one scripture. Matter of fact, God, just lead me. And I, I, you, know, I know, you know how I complain about scripture memory. God, I'm, I'm going to memorize this particular scripture. And you just lead me to the person that I'm supposed to share this with. And I'm just going to trust that I will arrive at the appropriate time and they might have been in a position where they felt discouraged, blind, abandoned. But my word of encouragement will be what causes the scales to fall from their eyes. And so I'm finishing up with chapter 9. It says, but all that heard him, and straightway he preached Christ. So he gets, he gets healed. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them, which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. Without, a, without the faithful Ananias, there are no Pauls. How could Paul have even, think about it, how could he have ever even believed that God could take him to Rome if he couldn't believe that God would send him an Ananias? I mean, he had to believe that God was going to send him an individual that was going to lay hands and speak to him encouragement before he could even think about, because in, in chapter 25 we read that he's about to go before King Agrippus. So the, the prophecy is being fulfilled at that point. But if he couldn't, if, if God couldn't find an Ananias to do the first part of the work, he couldn't have caused Paul to even trust in the greater work. So like I said, how often do we have or do we turn away 
from opportunities to convert souls into Paul's. And I ask myself that, you know, God, is there opportunities that where I should be sharing your love, where I should be sharing your encouragement, where I should be sharing your word? Um, God, are there opportunities where I'm just doing something good, but I'm not telling anybody about what inspires the good in me? Like I'm showing love to people who feel unloved, but I never, even, I never get to the point where I tell them the source of my own love. So they think it's just Leon's goodness. God, did I, did I, am I at times when I'm touching your glory because I'm, I refuse to share with them that I don't even have the ability to love you the way that I'm loving you right now? If first I wasn't loved by Christ and I didn't, he didn't, I didn't have that relationship with him. And so I want to close on this. Um, and this might be a little. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to close. I'm going to close with the, with these two things, and I, I'm just going to read these two scriptures and um, with these these verses because um, I just I just feel led to say these these two things, and um, um, they might not mesh exactly with the the message that I've, I've shared with you to this point. So don't hold me to that, but. Um, you know, sometimes on a, when they used to have albums, they, they would have bonus tracks. So consider this the bonus track. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm going to pay for this. My wife has joined me, and she's going to get me when I leave here. She's going to say, you keep going out and you're acting up. You, you, you're not going out anymore. I'm going to be on punishment. Thank you all. Thank you for so much. You, you all got me on punishment. Thank you, Alice. Thank you, Ginger. I'm on punishment. Ma, can you help me? And so I, I, I want to I say these, I, I want to I share this one, because there's a, there are a lot of young, what I would consider, I know I look strikingly young, but, <laughs> but there's, a, there's a lot of young people um, in this congregation, which is a dynamic thing. Um, and sometimes, I don't know if we appreciate, like we get to a certain age and we forget that we were young. And, and sometimes I don't think we appreciate the challenges that even young people face, you know, tr- especially in this world, trying to be true to your faith um, in a world that everything around you is speaking against what you, what you desire to do. I mean, you, you are bombarded by things that are trying to pull you away from um, really giving and submitting yourself to, to Christ. And um, it, it's not fair, but... But the Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So if the, if the world seems unfair, it must mean that God has given you so much inside of you that really the world should be saying, this ain't fair, God. How you give them so much anointing? How, much you, give, how you give them so much love? How you give them so much strength? How you give them so much wisdom? But in the, in the first three chapters of Acts 25, um, it just seems strange to me. It says, now when Festus was coming to the province after three days, he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him and desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem, laying wait in the way to kill him. And the reason I'm saying this to to young people in the house, and and old people you can listen to, (laughs) that 
sometimes the enemy just seems so relentless in coming after you. And sometimes I know you, you have to say, enough is enough. Why? You know, I got over one trial. I got through one situation. And it's like here comes another situation right after it. Why is the enemy? I mean, the enemy was so relentless at going after Paul. It's like you already got him in jail. You already got him hum, hung up in this judicial system. And he's been there two years, and you're still coming after him. And sometimes the enemy just seems so relentless. And, and I'm just going to speak from my from my, um, my past, and, and I know I, I look like I got it all together, but when I was in college, I didn't have nothing together. Um, matter of fact, when the party didn't start until I showed up. Yeah. <laughs> I know, see, I, no smoke. <laughs> but I tried to do everything. If I would think back on my life, I tried to do everything I could to sabotage um, what God would have, you know, clearly what God is doing in my life. And it wasn't because my mother wasn't praying. It wasn't because I didn't know better. It was the choices that I made trying to fill a void that only God reserved for himself. And, and I can remember times, you know, drinking and, and just partying and doing whatever. And I remember a moment um, almost like it, was today, like I can see it. And at the college I went to, they had this thing called serendipity, and it's kind of funny that that would be called serendipity, because this wasn't about chance and it wasn't about luck. Um, at that moment, it was a Sunday late morning, and a friend of mine, and I, he was a friend, he said, Leon, why do you call yourself a Christian and you don't do anything that Christians do? I'm like, my, my mother never said anything like that to me. My, the, the, uh, the young people who were living for Christ on campus, nobody ever, they, nobody had ever really challenged my faith to say, what, what makes you think you can call yourself a Christian and line yourself up with Christ? But whenever there are things that are what Christ would ask and, and require of us, you're never doing those things. And it hit me like a two-by-four. Like, yeah, why, why do I line myself? It, am I just trying to, you know how, how we, you know, if it's an umbrella, you try to get underneath the umbrella. You still want to be out in the rain, but you, you don't want to get soaked. I think I wanted to still be in the rain, but... I didn't want to get soaked, but I still wanted to play in the puddles. And I remember that morning, we were ready to go start partying again. It was a weekend of partying. And I don't know if they still drink 40 ounces anymore, but I took it and I went over to, yeah, I'm, I'm dating, really dating myself. And I went over to the sink and I just poured it out. And you know the, the, the apartment where I went, went crazy there. What are you doing? You're pouring out all this. And I, I poured it out. And at that moment, I said, God, I don't know what to do. And I feel like I'm about to break down right now. I said, God, I don't know what to do. But what I do know 
is I'm going to try to live my life to please you. And God, if you would help me, I'm not going to do everything right. Matter of fact, I'm going to do a whole lot of stuff wrong. But God, if you would help me, I want to get this thing right. I don't want to be phony. I want to be real for you, God. And from that moment, have I done everything perfect? No. Have I done everything right? No. But I sure am running towards the mark. And I know I said I was going to say too. I'm going to end with this. What happened in that same week after I did that, uh, my cousin went to the same college that I went to. And so we had friends down for this big week. And he looked at me and he said, Leon, he said, are you serious? He said, you, you really, you, you, you're not doing this anymore? He said, you taught us how to sin. How are you doing this now? And sometimes we don't realize the impact and influence that we like. We think that we don't have influence, that we don't have impact, that we don't have a circle like all our followers on social media. No, you've got real people who are looking at you and look at what you do. And I told him at that moment, well, I might have taught you how to sin before, but now I'm going to teach you how to live for Christ. And that's really what God is calling for us all. He's not calling for us to be perfect. He's not calling for us to be um, that we won't miss the mark. But he's really looking at our heart. And if our heart is really sold out for him, we could change our campuses. We could change our families. We could change this city. There's enough power in this room right now to change this entire city. Yeah, and as we get ready to respond, thank you, brother. Come on down. Um, I think that the challenge to be an Ananias and then the challenge to be real is more, for more than just three people in this room this morning. I know that that's what Leon said, that he felt like it was at just three or four of you. But there's no way that there's not more than three or four of us that need to be challenged about being real in our faith with Christ. And so as we get ready, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. We're going to just do a singular song here at the end as a way of responding. And so we're going to respond as we do um, normally on many occasions with the Lord's table. Now remember, we come to this table um, for um, uh, several reasons, not just because we were told to come to it frequently. And we're not coming to it because we're worthy. Let's just be honest. There's not a one of us in here that can come to the table because we deserve it. We're coming to this table to remember how great God's love is for us. And we don't want to abuse that. And so if you have your faith in Christ, we want this Lord's table to be something that you respond to this morning as a source of joy and encouragement, as a source of, this is how much God loved me. But yet we also come to this table because the early church was told to do it as a remembrance not only of God's love, but the type of life we're supposed to live, like a real life, an Ananias life. And so when we come to this table, we say the words of the Lord's Supper to one another, Because we need to hear them and be reminded of what is true about God's love for us. But we also need to get disciplined into the habit of having the words of God's love for others rolling off of our lips 
Like people have to see it and line up with our life, but also hear it with these words. It's like, let me tell you how much Jesus loves you. And it's because his body was broken and his blood was poured out for you. You know, and so as we come to this table, I want that to be a response. We have people that will be standing in the room with lanyards on that say, we're here to pray. How can we pray? And we want you to come to some of you might need to go up to somebody that's wearing one of these named lanyards this morning and say, I want God to use me as an Ananias. Some of you might need to say, you know what? I want to pray that I'm real with my faith in Jesus Christ. You resonate with the testimony of our brother Leon this morning. And God is calling you out of your darkness and wants you to step into some light this morning. And here's the other way I want you guys to respond. Go ahead and stand as we get ready to respond. Um, We have a needs board that's for physical needs as well. I want us to get disciplined in coming to that board and leaving our needs saying, hey, I need this. There is one singular card of a need on that board, and the person is in the room, and they need a tank of gas. Some of you need to go get that card and take it. Text the number, because I know the person's in the room, and their phone is charged. And you need to go and you need to take care of that today. And others of you might have a need similarly that you can do. And we have the capacity to meet those needs. We need to do that for one another. So let's pray. Father, right now as we respond, Father, we are admitting in our response that we need you. Um, And whatever our motivation was in arriving here today, Father, the truth is, is that we needed this. Father, I pray for Olivia and Lakin who are sick at home right now. But, Father, I thank you for the way that EK has stepped in with the team this morning because you have done something special in this room. But, Father, as Leon challenged us, it's not just about what we do special towards one another here. We need to be special outside of this room. So, Father, whether it's salt, whether it's light, whether it's images of being like Jesus, it doesn't matter what illustration connects. Reality is we got to connect We've got to connect the dots that you want us to live for you as we go. And so, Father, would you help us to do that today? And right now, Lord, as we sing, we just say, Lord, hear our prayers. As we sing, receive our praise. As we come to the table, Father, would you remind us of your great love? And would you encourage us and empower us to be testifying of your great love? And, Father, for those in needs, Father, would we, would we ask of you, but would we ask of one another, and would we make sure there's no needs amongst us? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, let's sing in response together.